Good morning. I'm uh, Marty Cates, the associate pastor here. It's my uh, privilege this morning to open God's word with you. Uh, we're going to continue in our study of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes, if uh, you're just joining us, is really a book that's all about this, this one man, this preacher, as he calls himself in the beginning of the book. It's all about his journey in life for meaning and for purpose. And as you progress uh, through the book, what you find out is all these places he goes looking for meaning and for purpose and for life. He calls them vanity. They're vapor. They, they continually disappoint. Now, we're about halfway through. Last week, Sean talked about uh, one of the, the big ways we look for meaning and for, for purpose in life. It's through our money, through our wealth. And this week's really a case study on that. It's not so much about the money, but maybe some of the things that we can buy with that money. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes 6 or find it on page 10 in your bulletin or on page 521 uh, in, the, in the Bible's found uh, under the chairs in front of you. I always want to say pews, but we don't have pews. So just the chairs in front of you, there's Bibles. Uh, it's on page 521. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. The man fathers a hundred children and lives many years. So the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. And moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything. And yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over... Yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. Even for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning into your word. Expecting that you would be at work in us. The power of your word. And the Holy Spirit. We ask you would use it this morning. To draw us out from under the, the lordship of our idols and back to you, our Heavenly Father, who is the giver of good gifts, is the giver of life, the giver of joy. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, this week is more about the, the stuff that we can buy. And so, in my, my reading for this week and trying to kind of discern what this was about, I started looking at, at the, the wealth we possess as a nation. And we possess a lot of wealth as a nation. We're the second richest middle class in the world. We were first until 2019 and we got surpassed by our neighbors to the north. But I have a feeling we'll probably take that back at some point. We're the second highest net worth per capita in the world behind Switzerland. Probably not going to take that one. They got to do that whole banking thing and we're not going to catch up. But still the second highest prosperous. We have more than 50,000 units totaling more than 2.3 billion square feet of rentable storage space. Yeah. We love our stuff. And we know it. And, and, and I understand there's probably times that having a storage unit makes sense. Meredith and I, when we moved back from Florida, back to the, the Commonwealth, we, we put our stuff in pods in Florida and it stayed in pods for a few months because we were living with my parents. And they were determined that we weren't going to move all of our stuff into their house. It was already crowded with our family there. And so it stayed in storage. 
until we found a place. But a lot of the storage units aren't for that kind of thing. They're because we've run out of space in our attics, our garages, and the shed behind the house. And so we needed somewhere else to put the rest of our stuff. So we rent a storage unit. Evan, who works in our youth uh, ministry, has a, a hobby uh, around storage units. Uh, you may be familiar with the show Storage Wars. Uh, Evan's not made it onto the show yet, but he enjoys bidding on these storage units. And sometimes it's people, they've run out of money and they can't pay, but a lot of times it's people forgotten they even have a storage unit. And so they stop paying. And after so many months, that person uh, that owns the, the units can put them up for auction. You get you know, public notice for 30 days, and then Evan will come in, and he'll swoop in, and he'll buy your stuff. And he'll bring it in the office and sort through it. <laughs> One man's trash is another man's treasure. We love stuff. And yet, our passage today gives us some insight into why uh, even the wealthiest, most prosperous nation in the world can't find joy and fulfillment in its riches. You see, for as rich as we are, as prosperous as we are, in the last World Happiness Report, we didn't rank first or second or in the top five. We weren't even in the top ten. As a nation, we ranked 16th. For all of our money, for all of our stuff, 16th happiest nation in the world. What's interesting, though, is that even the happiest of nations still have marks against them. People who have views of and feelings of dystopia and who feel that they're, they're suffering and they want change. Even in the happiest of places. Because what we know is that the stuff that we long for, the things that we buy and hope are going to give us joy and happiness, they fall short. The, 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 the word tells us, first it tells us what a remarkable life is. It's a richy rich kind of life. If you're not familiar with Richie Rich, he's a comic book char uh, character who was later played by Macaulay Culkin in a movie, but the, the comic books are way better. They're, they're older, they've been around for a long time, but Richie Rich is the richest kid in the world. He doesn't just have one of everything, he's got two of everything. But he's not happy. He doesn't have any friends. That's the kind of life that this preacher is talking about, right? He says that, that this man had everything that he desires. What does a man of the ancient Near East desire? Well, he desires wealth and possessions and honor. It tells us in verse 2, he, he desires a large family. Verse 3 tells us he has a hundred children. And if you know anything about children, you know how those are made. So he's got the wealth and the possessions and, and he's got the life that he, he wants. He's got a long life. It says that he's going to live a long life. In fact, it's so long, it's a thousand years twice over. God has given this man everything, so he lacks for nothing that his heart desires. You can actually translate that to, for, to say that he has been given all that he lusts for. He's not been denied all that his heart lusts for. And that's a word that, that kind of jars us because we, we associate lust with things that are inappropriate. You know, it, it's deeper and fuller than just the gimmies or the wants. It's this deep-seated desire. And this man's been given every deep-seated desire of his heart. Whatever he craves, he has. Even the ones that are a little too colorful to talk about from the pulpit. Might be even a little inappropriate. In fact, everything a person in that culture could have or want has been given to him. You're like, Marty, I don't, I don't think I have the same desires as the man in the ancient Near East. I don't, I don't have you know, hope for another goat this year. 
At the end of the day, that the desire for wealth and possessions transcends time. You know, he, he might have wanted the new recurve bow with the easy, you know, draw technology. And, and, and I, I want a new 12-gauge Beretta A350, Extrema, turkey gun, 21-inch barrel. Not enough of you are writing this down. Christmas is not that far away. It's the 12-gauge Beretta A350 Extrema turkey gun with the 21-inch barrel. You know, they, they wanted a new wheel for the wagon. I want new Falcon wide peak tires for my truck. They wanted a new gate for the courtyard. We want new doors for the sanctuary. <laughs> At the end of the day, our desires for money, for possessions, for respect, for honor, for whatever it might be, transcends time and place. And when something new comes along, it just replaces whatever it might have replaced on our list. I mean, some of you are, are here this morning are, are old enough um, or seasoned enough, sorry, to, to remember when you first encountered color television. You remember it. It stands out in your memory the first time you saw it. People came up after the first service to tell me those moments in their lives when they first saw color TV. Some of you are staring at me and thinking, they made TVs without color? <laughs> no one here is pining for a color TV anymore. We want a bigger one. We want one that's thinner that we can mount on the wall. We want one that looks like a picture when it's not on. So it, it, you know, we can put it in our living room and not think you know, our whole focus is on a TV. Things change, but they stay the same. You see, in a life under the sun, getting what our hearts want, getting what our hearts desire is what life becomes all about. This life under the sun is a life apart from God. In a world without God, it becomes all about what we want, what we desire, because this is all we've got. And so apart from him, we've got to get what we can get. We've got to, we've got to just squeeze out a little bit of happiness, a little bit of joy wherever we can find it. Our hearts default to this. Your heart defaults to this. And it just isn't our hearts in this room. It's all hearts, right? It says at the very beginning, I have seen this evil and it lies heavy on mankind. It is a, an evil that we all struggle under. It is an evil that we all have. And so it's your neighbor's heart that defaults to this. It's your coworker's heart. It's your children's heart. It's your cousin's heart. It's your heart. It defaults to this longing to find this joy and this contentment in the things of this world. It's what the, the reflection quote in the front of your bulletin said. Right? We, we all live, if only I had blank lives. If only I had blank lives. Because we think and we live as if I can just get whatever fills in that blank for you, that joy and happiness and contentment will follow it. But here's the thing. It doesn't follow it. Whatever is in that blank, whatever is that treasure you long for, it's not going to bring that, that joy, that contentment, that life. In fact, if we keep reading this, it says that there's this evil that he's seen under the sun that lies heavy on mankind. It's, a, it's an evil, it's a sadness, it's a pain even. And it lies heavy on us. It's, it's abundant. It is it's strong. It's exceedingly great. In fact, you could even translate that it's increasing. So for all of our growth, all of our changes as humankind, all the things that we have accomplished as mankind in 2,000 years, just means that this pain that lies heavy has grown greater, not diminished. And it's a great evil. 
verse 2 as it is, it says that, that yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. That word that he's used again and again, this is vapor. It's like water, trying to catch water in your hand. It just don't work. You're grasping at it, and it's just gone before you know it. God does not give him the power to enjoy these things. A stranger enjoys them. If you've got children, you have experienced what this looks like when it plays out. On Christmas morning, one child unwraps a, gift, a, a present, and, and they take a look at it, and they know there's another box under the tree, so they put the present down on the coffee table, wherever it might be, and they walk over, and they pick up the next present, and before they even got that present unwrapped, one of their siblings has picked up their first toy and is playing with it. Now you have to deal with the argument over who's going to play with it. Who gets it now? Whose turn is it? And by the time it's done, they're at each other's throats because one of them's watching somebody play with their thing and they're not getting to enjoy it. It's Christmas morning. That's what's happening. He, he's got all of this stuff. We all know the same. We all know the same. It's better to have a friend with a boat than to have a boat. They break. You're always worried about them. But when you have a friend with a boat, you don't worry about all that stuff. When it's working, it's working. You're out and enjoying it. And when it's broken, you're not worrying about it. You might call and check to see if it's been fixed. Just check it in on you. How you doing? Is our, is our, is our boat fixed? Better than have a friend. You see, we move from romanticizing this richy rich life in this text where he has two of everything. And we get snapped back to reality. And oops, there goes gravity. And we're falling down out of that pie in the sky life to the reality that is this world, this life under the sun. Because it's God that has given this person everything they want. They need for nothing. They lack for nothing. And yet the gifts of God do not bring them joy. The gifts of God do not bring them joy. And we know this. And yet still time and time again after we've experienced it, we move on to the next thing and try again. And Jesus warns us of this vanity chasing. And in, in, in Matthew 6, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Stop. And Jesus says, just don't do it. And yet we don't heed his word. We keep laying up treasures. We keep thinking, if I just get it this time, it's this next thing. And you work your whole life for it. This man finds joy in nothing he has. Well, why? Well, why? Because in verse 2, it tells us God has not given him the power to enjoy. God doesn't just give the gifts. God gives the joy with them. And the text says here that he wasn't given the power. He wasn't given permission or allowed to enjoy them. He wasn't given dominion over them. It could even be translated. And we hear that language and we realize that we were called. We were called to have dominion over all of the created things. And yet more often than not, we hand over that dominion to the created. And they lord it over us. And they tell us that you've got to work harder. You haven't given me enough yet. And we become enslaved to these things, to these material things, to these created things. We get mixed up between the created and the creator. And so we're not given joy to enjoy the things he's given to us. See, it's not until we have that relationship right between created and creator that we can begin to find pleasure and joy in the things that God blesses us with. See, God isn't just sovereign over this part of life or that part of life. He is sovereign over all of life. And that's hard to hear. 
Some of you even look angry at this point because you're like, so God, God, you're right, Marty. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm miserable this morning despite I have everything I could ever have wanted. And so you're telling me it's God that's done that to me. And I am. And you're angry because you think, you know, I earned all that stuff. You don't understand, Marty, how, how hard I worked to get this. How much we as a family sacrificed for that. Marty, you don't understand, to get my last promotion, I missed all of my kids' little league games. So I can get that leg up at work. And you got the promotion and you miss all the games and you're still looking and going, I still got to get the next promotion. You see, the idols of our lives call for us to continue to sacrifice, continue to give. They promise what they cannot give and they take from us what, we, what they promise to give us. They promise life and yet they rob us of it. They promise joy and yet all they produce is anger and frustration. And so because we think we've earned it all, we think we should get to enjoy it because it's our hard work. It's our sweat. But joy and happiness aren't tied to the good things. Right? It says that he has all these children, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. It's because joy is not tied to life's good things. Joy is not tied to success and money. Joy is not tied to wealth and power. But we assume as a culture that we should get more joy and more happiness when we get what our heart longs for. We, we, we think that it's a math problem, that X plus Y should give us blank. And one of those variables is that blank of our life that we're living for. It's a plug and play. You fill in the blank in that problem and you think I should just get more joy, more happiness, more contentment, more fulfillment. It never comes. No, joy and happiness are tied to God. The cultural narrative of the day runs against this. The cultural narrative tells us that, that whatever uh, we long for, whatever our hearts want, should bring us joy and happiness. And we hear it often in the language of identity today. My heart longs to be blank. I, I'm blank. I'm, this is who I am. It should bring me joy and happiness. Not only should I be joyful and happy, but you should celebrate with me because I'm living who I am. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What, what happens more often than not is in those communities, that identity that we thought was going to finally give us peace and rest when we finally embraced it doesn't bring it. It brings despair. It brings sadness. We feel more alienated than we did before because apart from God, there is no joy. God's word tells us this in Matthew 19, when a young man comes up to Jesus and says, what, what must I do to, to have eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you uh, would want eternal life, keep the commandments. And uh, he says back to him, which ones? That's a good question. Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this young man says, I've done it. I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. He went away sullen, for he had great possessions. 
He's got it. He's got the wealth. He comes and asks the right question. It's the question that we all want. What must I do to have life? What must I have do to have eternal life? And we hear eternal life and we think long periods of time. They hear eternal life and they think life to the fullest, robust life now and forever. And Jesus says, we've got to keep the commandments. Done it, Jesus. Check. Sell everything you've got. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then you will have treasures in heaven and you will be with me and you'll follow me. And it says he goes away sorrowful. He goes away sullen. Because he hadn't found the treasure yet that was worth selling everything for. He asked the question. He's given the answer. You'd think, hey man, you just got told what's going to take to get eternal life. But it's still too much. This great evil in verse 2, where God does not give him the joy to enjoy it, is really a severe mercy. It's the compassionate heart of God at work. A compassionate heart that says no to our enjoyment of the created apart from the creator, apart from him. This life under the, the, the sun says that we should get that. And God says, no, you cannot have it apart from me without my blessing. God's word here tells us that he withholds from this man as the giver of joy so the created will not supplant him in his life. So that he will leave and be frustrated and vexed. Be cursed even. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these truths that, that it's God who gives joy, that it's God who gives blessings? Well, the first thing that, that, that we do is that with those family, those friends, maybe even those adult children that we have that have walked away from the faith in pursuit of joy and life outside of Christ, apart from God, we pray that these words are true. And these verses are true. And I know what you're thinking, Marty, that's really hard for me to pray. I got three girls. I, I, I long for them to be happy and to have joy in life. And I, I, I work my, my butt off trying to protect that for them so that they grow up and have happy and joyful lives. But if they decide to walk away from the faith, they decide to, to, to walk away from Christ, I will pray that wherever they are seeking joy and contentment in life, they find misery. Because it's far better for them to be miserable and still searching that I can hold out hope that they might still come home. It is for them to find joy and contentment on whatever level it might be. And so for those, those children, we, we pray that they would be miserable, that they wouldn't find joy, that instead they would come running back to the one who gives joy. Second, it should soften our hearts. It should soften our hearts towards our neighbors, our coworkers, our family and friends who aren't believers, who don't know Christ. They're living this life under the sun and they still haven't found what they're looking for. These verses describe this life for us. It says that if a, father, uh, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, and yet it finds rest rather than he. Those are hard words to read. I'm not going to lie, when, when we divvied up the sermon series and I got this, this week of Ecclesiastes, I was not excited to have to read that. Because many of you have experienced the pain. 
of a stillborn child, of a miscarried child. And so for, for God's word to say that child that you never knew is better off than he who finds no enjoyment in life. It's just hard. But that's the thing is that when we go through life, the toil and misery apart from God, it's what our neighbors who don't know Christ, it's what our coworkers who don't know Christ, it's what our family who don't know Christ, it's what they live in. Whether they, 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 they recognize it yet or not, maybe it's too, too philosophical to say, but apart from the creator, there's no joy. There's no life. It says he has no burial. We, we read that and we're like, man, he had all those kids and they didn't put them in the ground. But, but in the Old Testament, to not be buried was to be cursed by God. We live under a curse apart from Christ. We still see the effects of it around us. Right? Genesis 3 tells us that the, that the curse is upon all, even creation that groans for his return. So it's not something special that this guy lives under the curse. It's that we all, apart from Christ, experience and live under the curse. And that's the world our neighbors live in, searching for joy, for contentment, for life amidst a remarkable life. But this passage makes it clear there's no joy or happiness to be found in life under the sun apart from God. No matter how much money or fame, no matter how many kids or how, how much respect and honor and accolades you accumulate, none of it will bring joy. Instead, we find a joy and we find the treasure that is the gospel. And we find the treasure that is Christ. Christ in teaching parables in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. In his joy, he goes and sells all he has for the treasure that he has found. It's not too many page flips where we're going to get a rich young ruler who's not willing to sell all that he has for the treasure that he's found. You know, many of us here this morning are looking for life. We're looking for joy. And we, we, we hear the words of, of God. We, we hear him say, stop storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. And yet we keep doing it. And we keep wondering what, why we haven't found what we're looking for. Why our hearts are still restless. See, when we really come in, in, in contact with Jesus and we really begin uh, to be loved by him and the Holy Spirit wraps its arms around us and brings us into his family, we are willing to forsake all things and run to buy that field that we might have that treasure, that we might know joy. Because it's in Christ that we get joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You know the song, Love, Joy, you don't, you can look it up. You can sing it to yourself later. What do we know about fruit? Fruit doesn't stop growing. It keeps growing. It keeps coming. You get more and more of it when you, the, the plant is well taken care of and well tendered. That's the promised life of the Christian. That the, the, the joy, that the fruit of the Spirit continues to grow in us. That we might experience more and more joy as we abide in Christ. Jesus says that 
It's the thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he came to give us life and life abundantly. Life to the fullest. It's not the things. It's him. And verse 6 says that all go to one place. All go to one place, but one man didn't. Easter's still a few weeks away. I don't want to ruin the surprise for you. But what happens is this, this Jesus who comes and, and, and says all these things about the, 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 the kingdom and, and proclaims the good news and, and proclaims that he's there to restore joy. I mean, he does it at the wedding of Cana. I mean, that, that, that is his stump speech. He says, I'm here to restore joy again. And he turns water into wine. And he begins to proclaim the kingdom. That, that Jesus, he dies. And he stays in the tomb. And then on the third day, he rises again and says, life under the sun isn't all there is. That there is so much more to life than just what is here. So we can stop searching. We can can stop accumulating. We can stop looking for things that have been created to bring us life and joy and contentment. And we can look to he who came to give life abundantly. So when we look to Jesus for our joy, when we look to Jesus for our contentment, when we look to Jesus for life, when we heed his words to abide in him and to rest, it's then that we find joy in this life. It's then that we find joy in this life when he is our treasure. The good gifts that God gives to us find their rightful place. And in Christ, we're told to come and play to come and laugh, to come and enjoy all that he gives to us. To pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing that in Christ you have promised us joy. You have promised us life. Would you throughout this week reveal in our hearts, the places that we're still looking to provide joy for us. The places that, that we continue to search for meaning and for purpose apart from you. That we might take them and forsake them to run to the treasure that is worth everything. And the treasure that is Christ, our Savior. In whose name we pray. Amen.